This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 321. Hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I am your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful and amazing and patient wife, Anitra. <laughs> That's me. She laughs when I say patient. I'm not going to ask her why. <laughs> this week on the show, we have not one, not two, not three, not four guests, but you did like seven interviews, uh, I think. Six which or means seven or eight, something like that. Seven or eight yeah. guests on the show this week. In the second half. Yes. We, of course, are doing our PAX Unplugged debrief, and as always, we try very hard to interview some people so that the people themselves can talk about the games that they have made. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do that second half of the show, and then we're going to wrap it up with Anitra talking a little bit about some of the stuff that she did that didn't make it into some interviews, so that's what we're going to do. But first, you have a fact, right? I mean, just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> That would be a boring podcast. <laughs> All right. This is episode 321. Three, two, one. Lift off. Yeah. It so that was you. actually what I thought about first, but then I was kind of thinking about this and thinking about, you know, things that I remember from being a kid. Three, two, one, contact? Three, two, one, contact. There it is. Yes. Contact <laughs> is the answer, is the reason. It's something about something happening. <laughs> All right. So obviously, Anitra knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> 321 Contact was a TV show that was on when we were kids. It aired PBS. on PBS from 1980 to 1988 and later ran on Noggin, which was a joint venture between oh, CTW yeah. and Nickelodeon from 1999 to 2002. Man, I definitely thought I saw 321 Contact after 1988 because I would have only been six. I mean, I feel like it was probably in syndication. It was probably in reruns on my or local something. PBS station. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. The show teaches scientific principles and their applications. Dr. Edward Atkins, who was responsible for much of the scientific content of the show, felt that the TV program would not replace a classroom, but would encourage viewers to ask questions about the scientific purpose of things. Was he right, Anitra? I think so. I think so, too. 321 Contact was the brainchild of Samuel Gibbon Jr., who had been the executive producer of the original The Electric Company mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. CTW from 1971 to 1977. Gibbon had left the CTW before Contact's production officially began, though he was still credited as senior consultant. The show was based on the original concept of The Curiosity Show, an Australian science-based children's education TV show that had been running since 1972. That program was hosted by Australian scientists Rob Morrison and Deanne Hutton, who were consultants to the Children's Television Workshop, CTW, in the early planning stages of what became 321 Contact. CTW wanted to make a version using American scientists as presenters, but PBS did not think that middle-aged scientists would engage a young audience. <laughs> and they insisted that any science show be hosted or presented by young people. CTW eventually reworked the concepts into 321 Contact. All right. So I was thinking about this a little bit more and thinking about the shows that our kids watch. And do you remember the Bloodhound Gang? Uh, vaguely. So the Bloodhound Gang was kind of this um, like bit on Three Two One Contact where you had a bunch of kid investigators. And I started to think about that, and I was like, Do you think they kind of are like the predecessor to like the Odd Squad? Uh, sort of. I also think of MathNet. Mm -hmm. MathNet which, was the other one. Yep. Which uh, I think came on right after Three Two One Contact. <laughs> um, but MathNet was very much like adults doing adulty things, except it was kind of silly. 
Right. I think 321 Contact is now replaced by things like Odd Squad, but also like Cyber Chase, uh, which is a cartoon, but it has little bits at the end that are always real people, basically teenagers, acting out math problems. Yeah. All right, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) But that's my fact for this week, 321 Contact. We also have a message from our sponsor. Speaking of math, how do you maintain your budget during the holiday season? With gift giving, big family meals, decorations, increased travel, and seasonal activities. The first step is to recognize that you need a budget. Focus first on the big spending areas like gift giving. Create a list of everyone you intend to buy a gift for, and set a maximum that you'll spend on that person. You can use the same list to track ideas with links to items, and then when you buy the gift, you can keep track of what you bought, where you hid the gift, and how much you spent. (laughs) The hiding is important. (laughs) Remember where you hid the gift. (laughs) It is very important. I, I lost a gift a couple of years ago. After a few years, this becomes a habit, and it makes it much easier to stay on budget. With your grocery budget, think about making at least part of your hosted meals potluck so other guests can help with the expense of the meal. The best tip, though, is to pay attention to how much your spending increases during the holidays this year. Then, starting in January, begin setting money aside for next year based on how much you spent this year. If you want to talk through other ideas to take some of the stress out of the holidays, set up a time to talk to First Move by going to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers today. All right, thanks so much to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring this episode of the show. So, Anitra, this is the part of the show where we talk about what we've been playing. Are you ready to talk about those things? We've been playing some games. We have been playing some games. All right, do I get to talk about some of the games that I actually played Uh, at PAX Unplugged? Yes. I mean, I didn't actually fully play very many games at PAX Unplugged because kind of the show floor closes and then I look around for my friends and I have time for like one or two games before (laughs) I'm dead for the night. (laughs) But... I showed several different people Sprawlopolis because mm-hmm. I tend to pull it out when I'm sitting down and, and eating a meal all by myself at okay. those big long tables, spreading the button shy love continually. I also played some green team wins. We broke the game slightly and played it with 13 people uh, because this was PAX Unplugged. So somebody had their own whiteboard that they used for some kind of game and development. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was a great time. And Part of the group was our friend Bob from One Board Family, our friend Isaac Via from Gaming with Sidekicks, and Grant Lyon. Yay! Uh, and it was just a ton of fun. And I uh, I lost pretty badly on the question of pick one of two, a short drive or a long flight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, like, oh, I picked drive because I drove here. <laughs> Maybe I should have flown here. But yeah. It's funny. I also got introduced to Joan of Arc, which is the Orléans roll and write, mm-hmm. draw and write, whatever sure. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do want to hear about this because you mentioned drawing as opposed to like writing, right? So what's up here? It's not really drawing. It's more fill in these circles or sometimes circle stuff, sometimes cross stuff out. Like okay. that's that's the only drawing really. Sure. But having never played Orléans. I was told that this has a lot of the DNA of that in the game. 
there are tokens pulled from a bag, then it's a token draft. First player picks, then second player, then third player. The last player still gets a choice of two tokens, and then the first player gets the token that was left over before the bag moves over to the next person. What a lucky That's guy. That's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> the tokens all represent different kinds of like workers, I guess, or people of influence in your medieval community. And so they let you cross off different things or whatever all around your board. It was cool. Uh, I liked it, but it was pretty complex. And although it was completely language independent, there is no text anywhere on these roll and write sheets. The downside of that is they used the iconography of like the tokens themselves and just shrunk it way, way, way down. And that made it really hard to see some of the pieces that were similar. So I enjoyed it. I would play it again, but I would never play it somewhere with low light because I I would just be straining my eyes trying to figure it out the whole time. And honestly, the only other game that I played at PAX Unplugged that I didn't bring home with me is Ready, Set, Bet. This was a lot of fun, but I would never want to play it with our kids. It is a horse race betting game, and it's frantic. We played with the maximum number of players, I think was nine, so eight bettors and one person managing the horse race. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The horse race is a simple roll two dice, and the sum of those two dice is the horse that moves forward. Okay. But the betting is this whole big grid, and everybody's got tokens in their color, and so you're slamming down bets into the grid because each grid space can only hold one token. And then... Near the end of the race, or sometimes at the end of the race, you have to stop betting. It depends on how the horses cross the line. But you're betting on first, second, and third place finishes, and there are all kinds of weird side bets you can do as well. But the important thing is that it's real-time simultaneous. Like, if you miss that spot because you were holding out and somebody else grabs it, too bad. <laughs> okay. So while you were actually at PAX Unplugged, the only games I played were... A game of Unmatched where, let's see, let me try to remember this. I was Achilles and Patroclus and Asher was... The Monkey King? Yes, he I think really he was the, likes Monkey, the King. Monkey King. And I think he killed me in the end. I think mm. he ended up winning that game. So uh, let me check my thing here. Yes, Board Game Stat says he won. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> we also played Kabuto Sumo with a bunch of the extra pieces, the uh, expansion content. That looks really cool. Yeah, so there's a whole bunch of different things. The way it works is that you pick two or you randomly select, whether it's on purpose or random. It sure, doesn't sure. matter. Two of the different types of expansion pieces. There's chairs, there's a coffin, there's these little like torch things, and there's a few other, you know, pieces. There's and each of them table. have yeah. yeah, different ways in which they work. I think my favorite one, just in terms of mechanics, is the table. So it's, of course, this is a board game tables game, and they have one of the board game tables as an item that you can have in the game. Of course. Yeah, and the legs are not attached to the tabletop, and so when you set it up, you kind of have to set the legs like kind of around a piece and then put the tabletop over it. So at some point, this thing's going to collapse as sure. you're playing the game. So. I just like that as a kind of a concept that, you know, you're actually breaking something mm -hmm, as you mm -hmm. play through Kabuto Sumo. Now, uh, when we had talked about Kabuto Sumo earlier, and it had really jived with my feelings on the game, our concern was that the game was a little bit long. Yeah. I had hoped and slash had heard that this expansion helps with some of that. 
I don't really think that's true, except that some of the wind conditions are a little bit different. So, for example, there's these little, like, spike things. They kind of remind me of caltrops, basically. Yeah. yeah, I saw those. Yeah, and with those, like, the way they work most of the time is if you end up with three or four of them, I think, in your supply, you just immediately lose. Oh, interesting. Right. Now, that's different from if you play with the coffin, which I'll explain in a minute. So these things kind of get dropped on the board and they're like scattered around. And so when you're pushing stuff, you have to be careful that you don't push off too many of these spiky things because if you do, then you're going to lose the game. So it does speed it up in that regard where there's more lose conditions Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it definitely affects the things that you can do, the things that you want to do as you're pushing uh, stuff onto the board. Now the coffin... I didn't really like the coffin. I thought it was too chaotic. So the way the coffin works is at the end of your turn, you take one of the bonus things that wasn't in the game, like a chair Mm -hmm. or whatever, and put it on the coffin. And you go back and forth and back and forth. And at the beginning of your turn, if any part of your beetle is in the, the rim on the outside, you take all the stuff from on top of the coffin. You split it into however many piles for however many players there are. And starting with, the, I think, the player of your choice, everyone drafts one of these piles of extra stuff to have in their supply. Oh, I see. It's almost like the pool and free parking, right? Like where... The, the house rule free parking thing, yeah. Yeah, where, you know, you keep adding stuff to it every turn and then something happens and then you distribute it or take it or whatever. I just felt like it was kind of a sloppy way to shove all of the content into the game. Mm. Uh, you know, it didn't I feel mean, very well themed or anything like that. And I just didn't care for that. I mean, I can see it, though. Um, I did play once with the kids after coming back from PAX Unplugged and we used the torches, which were fine. And the briefcase, which, again, was something that sped up the game just a tiny bit. I, I could have hoped for a little more. But the briefcase makes it so that at the end of your turn, if you don't have the briefcase and you didn't push off at least two pieces, you have to take a piece from your supply and stack it somewhere else on the board. Well, that's gross. So you really always want to be trying to push off two pieces. If you do push off two pieces, you get the briefcase. So you're always trying to like do that so you can get the briefcase and not have to worry about losing pieces. But this is a war of attrition kind of thing that it's very likely someone will get kicked out of the game for not having any pieces anymore with the briefcase in play. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think that there certainly are ways in which the expansion content changes the way that you play the game in really fundamental ways, right? It's not just like, oh, I have another piece and it has Mm -hmm. this very slightly different effect. It's like, oh, I have to try to do this completely different thing while also trying to do all the other stuff. Yep. Right. And so that part of it, I appreciate. But I had hoped that there would be, you know, some rule adjustment that would really change the way the game worked to make it a little bit faster. And I didn't really get that. So, yeah, I I agree. So that's all I played while uh, you were gone. But this past week, you and I have played a fair number of games. Yeah. So we played some winter, uh, which I also played with some of our children individually. Yeah. We've talked about that before. Really like that game. Great thaw, melt cycle stuff. Yeah. Really good. We tried out Mada. We talked about this, I think, last week. Yeah, or maybe the week before. I don't remember. It was a little better with three players. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a lot better. Yeah, I mean, the game's fine. I don't, I don't know. I I don't hate it as much as I did the first time we played it, which I guess hate is a strong word, but like. You really disliked it the first time. I didn't love it, really. And this time around, I got a lot of more of the same. You know, Asher got super lucky and I very much did not. And he obliterated us. You know, Mm -hmm. it just, Mm -hmm. it wasn't. 
it feels like there's some element that's just kind of missing. Yeah, and I don't know what it is, right? I mean, I, I appreciate kind of what they're going for on this one, but it's so clearly a luck-based game that yeah. I, I just it just doesn't have enough hooks for me. We also played Oh What Fun. We did. Which this game I, is adorable. I brought home from PAX Unplugged. Mm-hmm. We're going to put the review for it in the show. Suffice to say, if you like Christmas and trivia and puzzles, you will probably like this game. I mean, I think, well, take what you just said. You brought it home from PAX Unplugged, which means less than a week ago, and we've already published a review for it, which means, yes, our family has played this game enough to review it, which means something. Yes, exactly. So that is, oh, what fun. It is a really, really great thematic Christmas party game. Yes. This is definitely a party game. It's the kind of thing you're only going to pull out once or twice a year, and that's fine. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, you'll hear about that during the snap. And if you want to see video of Anitra and I singing silly songs, <laughs> or at least one, and I get to kiss you on video. You do kiss me on the video. <laughs> Check that one out. Uh, next is Headspin. This is another game that you brought back from PAX Unplugged. This is a two-player speed logic game, mm-hmm. which I really like. So the way this game works is everybody has, well, I guess there's only two of you. Uh, the two people have these different spinner things. And the best way for me to kind of explain this is like the like a combination bike lock. Yes, right? I think that's a good way to put yeah, it. Yeah, so it's a, a few things on a central cylinder and you're spinning them and they have colors on them, not numbers. And what you do is you flip out one of these giant cards and it has some kind of logic puzzle on it that's going to result, the answer of the logic puzzle is going to give you a four-color sequence. And what you need to do is turn the dials on your spinner bike lock thing so that you match that four color sequence and then put your uh, device onto the, like, I've completed this thing faster than your opponent. Yeah. And if you do, you win the card. And the first person to win five cards wins. It's all sorts of different kinds of logic puzzles. Yeah, there's 10 different kinds of puzzles. Different kinds. And then within those different kinds. And then there's like 10 to 15 of each one. Exactly, right. All of the cards are are double-sided. So on one side, it has a puzzle. And on the other side, it has the answer to that puzzle and a different puzzle. Yes. So uh, it makes a a lot of uh, really good use of the materials in that regard. It's a lot of fun. It's actually also made by Project Genius, who made Oh What Fun. I also played some Star Trek Super Skill Pinball. Yeah, tell me about this. So we've talked about Super Skill Pinball in the past because we picked it up on, gosh, was it Jeremy Chafer's recommendation? It's been a while, but but we picked it up. We've enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a while ago. But it kind of languished on the shelf for a while. Uh-huh. Yeah. However, when I went to the WizKids booth, I had an opportunity to play it with Jeff Engelstein, the designer. <laughs> with board game luminary, Jeff Engelstein. I know, right? Hey. Um, and the other guy who sat down with me, Jeff Engelstein was all ready to show us the sort of intro level board which is starfleet academy um, and the other guy was like nah i really like this trouble with tribbles one let's play that and i was uh, like okay man let's i expected go. him to be like i want to see locutus of borg so there's the starfleet academy there's trouble with tribbles there is a borg attack borg attack might be the most challenging one mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. what i can see mm-hmm. and then there's a lower decks Oh, wow. For real? For real. Like animated pictures and everything? Yes. Yes. (laughs) By the way, Lower Decks, fantastic TV show. You didn't pick up on that. So going to just mention two things quickly. The Trouble with Tribbles board, you will be collecting Tribbles along the way. And early on, this is kind of a good thing. You get a couple of chances in the course of the game to score Tribbles. When you have somewhere between like two and ten, it's a positive number. 
And then after 10 or 12 or so of, of the tribbles, the number starts going down and then it becomes negative. And then it makes you cross off other positive things if you score it. <laughs> and if you hit a certain point, if you hit the max number of tribbles, you basically immediately lose a ball. Oh my gosh. There are ways to get rid of tribbles, including one thing that lets you transport tribbles over to your oh, opponent's board. Oh, oh, that's so mean. <laughs> <laughs> is yeah. there a Deep Space Nine cameo? No, oh, there is that not. Been cool. I mean, it's okay. But it's that, okay. That would have been cool. But the lower decks board, so all of the other boards are pretty typical pinball structure you get three balls Mm -hmm. you know and and it works out that way lower decks you only ever get one ball there is no shoot there are flippers and the reason for this is the big gimmick of lower decks is that the gravity generator is broken what you do is when you hit certain score thresholds i think it's every 10 points the table flips around okay so one side of the table is red and yellow and i think it has rutherford and Boimler, and the other side of the table is purple and green, and it has Tendi and Mariner, I think. Uh, Maybe I'm getting the orientations wrong. But the idea here is you always want to be hitting that new point threshold and getting your ball close to the bottom, but hopefully not hitting the flippers yet, to then flip the table around so you can have the ball come down the other way. Sure. It's really cool. You get a chance to get each of those four characters, which each give you a special power you can use in the game. Oh, it's fun. I like that. I mean, I, I do think that that was kind of one of the things that made it hard to go back to the super skill pinball was the fact that there was no intellectual property that like really tied me to it kind of thing. You know yeah, what I mean? The themes were fine. I mean, they were like generic pinball yeah. machines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It but, was fine. But pinball is one of those things where they're like, it's not even about generic pinball machines anymore, right? Like it's... You know, the right. Adams family. They're all or, in uh, real life, they're all themed. Yeah. So it makes the Star Trek Super Skill Pinball really fun because it combines those pinball kind of mechanics with dice rolling and special powers and Star Trek. And they're all really well themed and put together. Cool. I like it. All right. Uh, next, I guess we'll talk about a game that we played last night, sure. which was Castle Panic. Yeah. Yay! So we were very fortunate to receive the Castle Panic Big Box 2nd Edition from Fireside Games. Basically, they redid all of the art and a lot of the art design. So the art itself is new, and it has this very Dragon's Lair kind of look to it. But the art design, the graphic design, has been kind of touched up with some nice quality of life updates. Yeah, it's a little cleaner. It's a little clearer and crisper. In my memory, the forest ring and stuff were kind of hard to make out what the different rings were before. It was just kind of like, okay, I guess we move forward here. And it's much, much clearer now. It is definitely much clearer. They also added shapes to represent the different colors, which is good for anybody who's colorblind. Like red, green, colorblind is a thing. And two of the three colors are red and green. Red and green. So... (laughs) Uh, But it also has all of the expansions in the box, including the new Quest expansion, which I'm very excited for. It's got some really neat different stuff that I really think the kids are going to enjoy because it turns the basic Castle Panic concept on its head in a way that's different from like the Wizard's Tower. Sure. So I'm looking forward to playing those. We did the baseline game last night and we won barely. That's how you're supposed to. That's how you're supposed to do Castle Panic. We won barely. Mm -hmm. Finally, we played a new-to-us game from Bombix called Garden Nation. This game was weird. (laughs) 
not bad. I I enjoyed it, but it was really, really hard to plan far enough ahead to feel like my decisions really mattered, I guess. So I understand what you mean when you say that, because what happens in this game with the way that you move is so contingent on the way other people move. So you really can't yeah. plan multiple turns ahead. But for me, what I kind of did, which is to say that I won, we both got wrecked by <laughs> Asher. Yeah. Was I tried to look at every single one of the territory spaces and have a plan for if I was going to start my turn there. Okay, sure. And that sort of helped me out. So the way this game works, so in this game, you are fairies and you live in a garden and it's kind of an area control game. Yeah, everybody's trying to build houses or towers or whatever, but you're kind of subtly competing with each other. Right. It's not really like... There are a way to use these things called ploy tokens to take over other people's towers, but it's extremely expensive to do it. So it's almost functionally discouraged slash yeah. like it's just super expensive kind of thing. Yeah. So the board is, for lack of a better term, a hexagon. And you can think of the six sides of a hexagon as kind of these six shapes. And then there's also a shape in the middle. So it's a hexagon made up of seven hexagons. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And inside of each of these seven hexagons are seven spaces that kind of correlate with the greater spaces of the hexagon itself. So on your turn, you are going to look for where this turtle crane is. Torta crane. Torta crane. That's what it's called. And wherever that is, that's where you have to perform your action. And your action is going to be either to put down a floor of a building or to pick up a floor of a building or I guess a whole building. The whole building. And whichever space you do that on inside the hex that you're in kind of correlates in a macro sense to the place that the torticrane is going to move to on the greater board. And so if you have two actions, you can kind of plan by performing an action on a space that correlates with a larger space that has something that you want to do something on, right? And so that mechanic, I think, is really interesting. It really reminded me of a game like Shobu or a game like That Time You Killed Me, where what you do on one board relates to how things happen on other boards. Yeah. Like, it's very different in that regard because it just is about how things move, but it has a lot of that mechanic to it where you have to look at two different things kind of happening at the same time, and I really dug that. I thought that was a cool idea. It does, you're right, mean that you have to be really careful about the way you plan, though, because... In our game, which was a three-player game, whoever went first in the round got one action, and the second and third players got two actions. And so it's really hard to predict where you're going to be able to play when it becomes your turn. Yeah, five actions later. Right. The ploy tokens, of which you get four, do allow you to modify that location a little bit. So all of the seven locations are numbered, so a ploy token will allow you to add one or subtract one from the number that the torticrane is on to allow you to perform an action somewhere else. But it does have some limitations in in that way. And I mean, it has them by design. It's not like this game is bad. It has this limitation. But I think it makes it really interesting. And so all of the victory points that you get in this game. So at the end of each round, there's, you know, some area control victory points. But it's also things like if you put down a building and now you have a building with two floors next to an empty space and the building with two floors is on yellow and the empty space is red, you know, you can claim this thing for some victory points. This little goal thing along the way. Yep. And I really like that they have this mechanic where if you use a building as kind of the final building to claim a reward, you have to put a roof on it which means that you can't use that for something later because there have been a lot of games where we'll have kind of like the magic sauce 
where you have like one or two things that you can use for a bunch of stuff and then just mm-hmm. catapult into the lead. Yes. And you can't do that with this game, which I actually like a lot. It forces you to make decisions. Yeah. So I liked all the pieces of the game individually. I just had a hard time getting them to come together in any kind of strategy that made sense. Maybe I'll do better next time. I mean, um, it was like nine o'clock at night when we started that, playing and that we had never was also played part it before. Of it, yes. Yeah. I, I think this is a game that definitely is very unlike a lot of other games, which I think is kind of cool, right? So yeah. the art style is this like weird French <laughs> the- gardeny thing. Like this is interesting because I think the art is fine on this one, and you really like the art on this game, which is so contrary to the way we normally talk about this. There stuff. are there are elements of the art I really like on this one. I, mm-hmm. I don't just blanket love the art, but I think the art is very interesting, even where I don't love it. Okay. I'll put it that way. Sure, that's fine. That's fine. But this is Garden Nation from Bombix. This is definitely a game that we're going to play a couple more times. I think of, of people like our friend Dave, who does some reviews for us, who really likes games that have strategy. This game has strategy, and it might be kind of frustrating, but it's not luck. Yeah, right? that, I, I think this game might be up his alley. That does stuff like that. So, I don't know, maybe I'll reach out to Dave, and we'll see if we can get Dave to play. There's one more game that you forgot. What's that? I managed to buy us a copy of Turing Machine. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we did play Turing Machine. We played it separately and solo. Yes, we each played it solo. I was very tired, and I was very wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I played it solo, and I liked it so much that I immediately played it solo again. Does that mean that there's a puzzle that you've done that I haven't? No, no, because you did an online one. I did an online puzzle for the second one. There's a neat thing about when you do the online puzzles, whether you do them competitively or cooperatively or solo, you can compare how many tries it took you to get the answer to like the AI, like what their computer says it should take you to get to the right answer. Cool, cool. Which was neat. So I like everything about this game. So we admit the theme on this one is not necessarily going to hit with other people the way it hits with us, but we're both computer science grads. Yeah, so that's like a thing for us. (laughs) (laughs) So we're like, wait, Turing machine, yes! Uh, And then we discover how it actually works. You've got these cards that all have different kind of punch-outs on them, and you're making a combination of three cards, a yellow number, a blue number, and a purple number. And once you put a yellow, a blue, and a purple together, all of those holes cover each other. So you end up with one tiny little square hole that is open. And then you set that over a sort of answer card to see if the number you picked meets or doesn't meet a hidden criteria. You get to know what sort of criteria you're looking at, but not exactly what it is that that criteria is looking for. So for example, there is a purple number and a yellow number. And this one test is, we are comparing the purple number and the yellow number. But you don't know until you've tested it out if it's looking for the purple and the yellow are equal, the purple is greater than the yellow, or the purple is less than the yellow. It could be any one of those three, and you don't know until you try stuff out. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing is that you're trying to do this with three or four or five or I think even six different conditions. And you're trying to come up with a number that meets all of the conditions. But at the beginning of the game, you don't know what any of those conditions actually are. Just kind of what family they're in. Yeah, it's a really interesting game. And it's scientific analysis to perform, you know, high level deduction, which I like. It is a straight up logic puzzle, really. Mm -hmm. And part of that is really training yourself or whoever else you're playing with to look at what do I know What can I deduce and what do I still need to figure out? Yep. 
So this is not a game that we are going to review probably nope. <laughs> because we bought it and we don't have time to review games that we bought. Not right now anyway. Uh, but we are probably going to keep talking about it because we're going to keep playing it. So <laughs> Yes, definitely. All right. Anitra, I think that that might be it. That might be all of the games that we've been playing. Should we talk about our giveaways? Oh, let's do that. Okay. We are going to give away some stuff. We're giving away four different things. So we're running four giveaways. Yes. Starting the day this podcast comes out. We are going to give away the Quest Kids and its expansion. Mm -hmm. This is a great kind of super mega entry level dungeon crawl for younger kids. We're talking like four or five, six years old. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The expansion leans a little older because it has some some reading, but it's easily a thing that mom or dad could read and younger kids could play or a thing that older brother or sister could read and, you know, maybe humor their younger siblings. Yep, absolutely. 100% kid appropriate, really kid intended. So yeah. that's very good. The next thing is a copy of Aldabas from our friend at Grand Gamers Guild. Really enjoy this game. It's mm -hmm. a puzzly Euro in a small box. Mm -hmm. Yep, this is a game that I had the opportunity to spend a long time selling at <laughs> Essen this year. And we did, in fact, sell out. Oh, good job. So yeah. We are giving away a brand new in shrink copy of Fife. Yeah, so this is a game that we got in for review. This is a game that Suzanne Suze from Restoration Games had recommended to us. So we played this a couple of times, I think, and uh, I really enjoy it. Anitra is oh, this puzzle hurts my brain. One. Yeah, <laughs> but we were able to get a second copy of that, and we would love to be able to give it away. And the last thing on our list is our copy of Turtle Splash. This is that really cute combination memory dexterity game from Lucky Duck Kids. It's a game that is just, it's a little bit too young for our youngest, who is eight. So we thought that it would be best if we gave it away on the show. And so that's what we're going to do. Yeah, we enjoyed it, but we would rather give it to someone who has little kids who will enjoy it more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you'd like to enter any of those contests, head over to thefamilygamers.com and you will see a contest post at the top. And then, you know, it's all the standard stuff from all of those things about sharing on Twitter and Facebook and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Do all that stuff and you'll be entered for chances to win. This stuff is not going to go out before Christmas. So this is not Christmas gift stuff. This is stuff for you to win and play. Yes, exactly. All right. And with that, we're going to take a break, and you are going to hear all about Oh, What Fun. Then we're going to have some interviews, and then we'll come back to close out the show. We'll be right back. Dashing through the snow or staying home inside. What, what fun, fun it is to play a game with family and friends tonight. <laughs> this is a snap review for Oh What Fun, a holiday-themed party game from Project Genius. The box says it's suitable for players down to age 7, and it can accommodate up to 20 people. I don't even know if I know 20 people that would want to hang out with me at one time. <laughs> Anitra, let's talk about the art in this game. The art here is simple block color pictures with holiday themes. The box has a cardboard organizer to keep the four card categories separate. It's okay. There's also a spinner and a little cardboard tree with six punched out ornaments. Which is adorable. <laughs> the cardboard in our copy is a little warped, but it's thick and it's sturdy and the spinner works actually really well. Yeah. The cards feel a little cheap, but that's fine. I mean, it gets the job done, but it's not blowing the needles off the tree. <laughs> you catch what I'm saying? <laughs> 
So let's talk about the mechanics and how we play this game. Sure. So the first thing you're going to do is split up into teams. And you really can have pretty much as many teams as you want, as long as each team has at least two players. But fewer teams means the game moves faster. On your team's turn, someone spins the spinner. This determines what kind of challenge you'll have to do. Draw a card from the appropriate deck. In Claus's Clues, you're going to decipher a simple rebus. What's a rebus? For the people watching the video. Of course. Of course. It is a picture or series of pictures that indicate a common phrase. Like this one. Kissing. Under the mistletoe. For tinsel trivia, you'll need to answer a holiday-themed trivia question. The Christmas tree conundrum challenges your team to figure out the correct placement of all six ornaments on the Christmas tree board in about a minute or less. Then answer a question about where a specific ornament is on the tree. These three categories all have a correct answer printed on the back of each card. So don't peek when you're trying to figure them out. Don't do it. The last category is Carol Collisions. Oh, Carol. You'll need to sing the words from one holiday song printed on the card to the tune of a different holiday song. If you complete a challenge, keep the card. Then it's the next team's turn to spin and pick a challenge. When a team collects their 10th card, they win. Should be 12 cards. I feel like it should be 12 cards. So, Anisha, what did we expect from this game? Well, I expected this game to be a fun after-dinner activity for our family. With four different types of challenges, I hope that meant no one would get bored of it too quickly or frustrated. This isn't a game that grabs you with fantastic art or a great hook of a theme. But I figured once we got playing, it wouldn't matter. I mean, I think that's true. To be transparent, I didn't really know what to expect from this, right? I mean, okay. I thought it would be light, but I didn't know if I'd like it at all. But we like Project Genius, so would we like this one? We did have fun with it. Let's talk about what surprised us in the game. Well, there was a wider variety of trivia than I expected. We also found that most of the challenges were relatively easy. And that's okay. That keeps a what fun actually fun. As our daughter said, some of the questions are easy for kids, and some are better for <clears throat> old folks, and that makes it great for the whole family to play together. <laughs> I will confess, I was stumped by some of the questions. Apparently, I need to study up on my 16th century European Christmas traditions. <laughs> our only disappointment was finding a small error on a card on our very first play. It didn't stop us from enjoying the game, but it did slow us down. Hopefully, it's the only one in the game. So, Anitra... Do we recommend Oh What Fun? Oh What Fun is perfect for a family holiday gathering. The variety of challenges in here means that no one will feel left out. And the holiday theming certainly got us in the mood for more Christmas celebrations. It's inexpensive. It's easy to find. You can even get it today at Barnes & Noble. So it's a low-commitment way to get a lot of people to the table. What are we going to rate Oh What Fun, <laughs> the family game? Well, I think we're going to rate it four Christmas cookies out of five. And that's, oh, what fun, in, in a snap. snap. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. <laughs> Vixen and Blitzen and all his reindeers pulling on the rain. <laughs> <laughs> with Mary at Resonim, and she's going to tell us about two of their newest games that both look awesome. 
Hi, thanks, Anitra. So, yeah, I'm first going to talk about Phantom Inc. Phantom Inc. is a seance-themed party game which pits two teams led by spirits and mediums against each other in a duel of the supernatural spooky kind. In the game, the spirits know the same object, such as Apple, for example, but the mediums on each team don't understand what the object is yet. They don't know. And they're trying to prove that they're the best mediums that exist in our, you know, spiritualist universe. <laughs> so they're trying to guess, but the only way they can get information about the object is through weird question cards that they have to ask their spirit from beyond. So, for example, what does it smell like? Or how do you feel when you use it? <laughs> what kind of profession is associated with it? Exactly, yeah. exactly. What academic field of research studies it? Um, you know, uh, yes, these kinds of things. And then there are a few that throw you off. Like, what is the opposite of it? What is oh, the opposite? Yeah, yes, sure. yes, 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 yes. So the, the clues that are, that are written out by the spirit are public. And so, for example, if the question is secretly given to this team spirit, what color is it, and it happens to be an apple, the spirit can start writing R, and the team, if they know, well, how many colors are R, they can cry silencio so that there's less public information out there for the other team to use against them to guess the object first. So it's a 10 to 15 minute party game that just leaves people in ridiculous heaps of laughter um, that uh, I think you should try to play. <laughs> it sounds great. I, I love this idea of you're giving the clues, but the other team doesn't know like what questions you're answering yes. with those clues. That's the, that's the key to the game because there's this hidden information. And you know somebody might even write out the word elephant. Well, how would I know what's associated with an elephant? Maybe it's about what is, the, what is it about the size of, you know? It could be elephant. It could be what's its next of kin or something. You know, who knows? So the, that's the kind of fun of the game is that kind of missing part, that missing information that um, keeps the game kind of with a, a lot of spirit. And then also it gives the strategy because the spirit can't give too obvious of a word because the other team will figure out faster right, right. and be able to jump on the answer quicker. So it's a, it's a clever, thinky party game. I like it. Cool. So, Retrograde is a totally different kind of game. It's based in the 1980s uh, arcade theme, and it's kind of like I would describe it as a Yahtzee dice chaos. <laughs> it looks a little bit like Space Invaders, but you're you're rolling dice to try to make pairs to cross off the aliens, right? That's right. You're blasting droids like a kind of classic arcade game. But what you're doing is you're, you have to actually get permission to blast the droids, if you will, by getting these kind of uh, target cards. And so you're, it, there's a couple of extra steps in strategy. You only can blast droids that are touching, but other people are competing for the ability to do that. So, so there's a little bit more strategy and inter-player trying to get their needs met first kind of thing. So there's a the different level of competition and that one's for one to four players as well we have a one player uh, version of it oh nice which is nice for single players and uh it has a lot of fun and it's really easy to score and each of the sheets are um unique and so no one's exa got exactly the same thing that they're working with which is also helpful for replayability they both look really awesome mary you said phantom ink is available now yes 
And retrograde just is fulfilling to the Kickstarter backers, so the it'll Kickstarter be The Kickstarter backers to... have gotten theirs at this point, so it should go to retail by the beginning of the year. So the global chaos did not get it here for um, for uh, the holiday season, but it can be for the next one. Yeah, winter birthdays. You know, we're good. Exactly. Exactly. Well, so, yeah. Look for it in the in the new year, 2023. Thank you very much for your time, Mary. Thank you so much, and uh, play well. I am here with Dave Campbell from Dolphin Hat Games. Uh, you probably know them already from their game Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza. But they have a new one coming out that I think Dave really wants to tell you about. Yeah, we're super excited about Gimme That. Gimme That kind of follows in the tradition of Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza, where it's super wild, big action. And that's really what we kind of focus on at Dolphin Hat Games is big action. And how do you get you know kids away from a screen for about 10, 15 minutes? Yep. And that's what we're trying to do is to have fun together as you know families. Uh, and the whole thing I wanted to do with things like Gimme That, Taco Cat, Go Cheese Pizza is get rid of the rule books essentially. So with Gimme That, what you do is you have everybody sitting around a table, okay? And everybody has one job to do and that's counting spuds on a spud sheet. So you're literally counting potatoes, okay? So you're counting them one, two, three, four, five, all the way down to 100. The funny thing about that is at the table, there's only one pencil available. So everybody spends the entire game fighting over the pencil. And the way that you do that is by rolling a die. So you take turns rolling this die. And if you roll the pencil on the die, you get to steal the pencil and say, give me that. And you start writing one, two, three. But there's also a lot of other funny action. There's mashed potatoes where you're slamming on the table and spud bumps and high fries. So it's a lot of big, wild action, big fun, big laughs, just like Taco Cat Go Cheese Pizza. I noticed that the die also says left. Yes. So you don't necessarily get to hang on to that sheet you've been working so hard on. That's right. That's right. So what happens with that is all the sheets move off to the left if left is rolled. And you might be thinking, well, that's not fair. What if I work so hard on that sheet? Well, that's the thing. It always comes back around. <laughs> so you don't expect it to, but it does. And in fact, somebody might have been working on the sheet next to you, and then they're doing a good job, and they get passed off to the left, and maybe somebody's working a little bit slower. So what it, it does is... It actually acts almost kind of like an equalizer. It evens it up a little it bit. It evens sure. up a little bit, which is great for families. Uh, so that's why Gimme That is just a blast for, for family gamers. Well, that sounds hilarious and fun. Uh, is Gimme That currently available? Can people go buy it? Yeah, it's currently available at your uh, you know fr friendly local game store, uh, but it is also available at Meijer uh, in the Midwest and then Barnes & Noble across the country and then on Amazon and then also on our Dolphin Hat website. Uh, so yeah, feel free to go ahead and pick up a copy. Uh, and then one other thing too about Gimme That is if you win, you get uh, crown spud royalty and you get a sticker when you win, which is a nice little prize for a family. It's adorable little king spud. <laughs> that's right, that's right. I love it. Thank you very much for your time, Dave. Oh, thank you for your time, thank you. With Kurt Covert from Smirk and Dagger, or maybe Smirk and Laughter Games. Yep. How's uh, it going? It's going great. And he's going to tell us about their new game, Boop. So, Boop is this adorably, very challenging abstract strategy game about cats jumping on a bed and bouncing other cats out of the bed. It's so cute. It is, and it's it's got a quilted fabric game board that goes on the back of the box to form the bed that the cats are jumping into. And uh, you're just trying to line three up in a row, and that sounds super simple. But oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. But they repel each other, 
So putting a cat in the middle of two others doesn't make a line of three. It shoves them away from the center, and it's like herding cats trying to get them to line up. You have to bounce <laughs> them together. So, yeah, it's a yeah. very challenging game. So it's super cute, and um, I was really glad to see it here at the show. I think everybody should go out and get it because it's two players, it's fast, it's cute, and you will learn how to play it right away, and you will spend a long time trying to figure out how to master it. Yes, indeed. And, in fact, this is actually the game's premiere. Um, it, uh, it just came out maybe like three weeks ago and it sold out 12,000 units in two weeks that's amazing I had to hold these aside for the show because they would have been gone so yeah that is amazing thank you so much Kurt and everybody should go check out Boof because it's amazing oh thanks so much with Randall Hampton, and he's going to tell me about his series, The Little Game Master. Uh, hi, I'm Randall Hampton. I'm the author and illustrator of The Little Game Master series of children's books, which is quite literally Dr. Seuss meets Dungeons and Dragons. It's a children's storybook series that uh, introduces kids to what tabletop role-playing games are all about. Uh, it shows a group of friends that get together, they make characters, they form a world that they play in, they go on an adventure, you see the kids rolling dice, sometimes failing miserably. Uh, and at the end of the story, you know, they complete their adventure and they learn a lesson about life as things go on. You know, in the first book, it's all about, you know, don't have preconceived notions about people. Don't judge a book by its cover, you know? Uh, the second book uh, of Bards and Bullies is all about people make mistakes. When we make mistakes, we have to own that. We have to seek forgiveness and hopefully get forgiveness. That's the way we grow. That's how we become better. So those are the lessons that I wanted to put out there for kids and the, uh, the kids of the D&D community while teaching them, you know, what, what, what is it? What is this game that we love so much? That's really awesome. I love these books. The illustrations are fantastic. But you've also got a Kickstarter coming sometime early next year. And why don't you tell me about that, too? Yeah, so first quarter next year, we're, we're launching our next Kickstarter, which is going to be a game system, a set of rules designed for kids ages 4 to 9. So they can come in and they can sit down at the table, pick out a pre-generated character, and, uh, and, and then have uh, a game module already set to go with mom or dad or uh, older brother or sister, whatever it may be. Uh, and they can sit down and they can play a game in an hour or less. It gives them that entryway into what t- tabletop role-playing games are all about. That's wonderful. If somebody is curious about this and wants to find out more, where can they find you online? Uh, you can always find me on Twitter at Randall underscore Hampton. You can go to my website, RandallHamptonArt.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Randall Hampton. Uh, and then I also stream on Twitch, Randall underscore Hampton. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much for your time, Randall. Hey, thanks so much. with Jake Jenny from Last Night Games. Uh, and I think he's going to tell us about The Finest Fish and maybe more. Awesome, thanks. Uh, the Finest Fish is our newest game. It's arriving right now for sale. It'll it'll be shipping early next month. It's a kind of casual tile placement game where you get to choose a, a unique goldfish board and add scales to it to complete patterns and clusters of same colors and things like that to maximize your score and get the most points. Uh, it's pretty casual play. If you like tile placement games, you really ought to check it out. Uh, again, it's shipping next month and it's from Last Night Games. Very cool. And while I'm here, can we also talk about Life of a Chameleon? Of course we can. Before we even get started, I'm going to see that it, it's got the Mensa Select seal on it. That's pretty great. 
Yeah, it was part of the Mind Games this year, 2022, and was honored with the Mensa Select Seal. We're pretty proud of that. So tell me how Life of a Chameleon works. Of course. It's a little bit more strategic of a game. It's kind of an abstract strategy game. You get to play the role of a chameleon, moving around the board, eating bugs that match your color, uh, and avoiding snakes that don't match your color. As you eat those bugs, you want to eat them in a certain order to complete objective cards. And completing those cards will give you victory points towards the uh, the end of the game. And the game does kind of have an abrupt ending. You roll dice to move along a progress track. So starting uh, cards later on in the game may be risky, but it may be the way to win for you. So you got to be very aware of where the game's at in every situation and try to control it and control that end of the game so that you can score the most and win. And you will need to keep changing out the color of your chameleon so you can eat all the correct color bugs, right? Absolutely. Because you're a chameleon, you get to change your colors as one of the actions on your turn. So you can swap to a different color, eat different colored bugs, and get the cards that you you need to win. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for your time, Jake. And where can people go online if they want to learn more about your games? Uh, You can go to lastnightgames.com. We've got video tutorials and setup guides. We've got information there uh, about the games, all of our upcoming games as well, which you want to pay attention to. Uh, So, yeah, head over to lastnightgames.com. All right. Thank you very much. I am here with Matt at the Restoration Games booth, and he is going to tell us a little bit about Key to the Kingdom. Yeah, hi there. This is uh, Key to the Kingdom. Key to the Kingdom is a a new game. We just came, brought it back this year. As you know about all Restoration Games, we take old games and take them apart, put them back together brand new with all new modern sensibilities and all for a new modern gaming audience. I feel like you take something that feels the same as what people are nostalgic for, but better. Better, much better, exactly. And with Key to the Kingdom, this is a game came out in 1990 where it's it's a fantasy adventure game. You're rolling, you're going around the board, going on adventures. Well, we still have that flavor. We still have the same What's, what's, what's great about this game is back then they, they have this board. Uh, you can't see it, obviously, but there's this board. And when you go into Whirlpools, you'll, when you move to the Whirlpool, you'll get to see all different parts of the land, so with different adventures. But on your turn, the, the core of the game is you roll your dice, and you can modify your dice with all these magical items that we have. All the characters have special powers now. So, like, this character, this menacing mercenary, every time you refresh any item, you also get to refresh your sword, so you always have your sword at the ready. Um, you're going to go around the board. Maybe you'll you'll pick up a you'll draw an event card. That event card could lead to a magical item. It could lead to a companion joining you on your adventure, which you'll use to go on on more major adventures. Because the the whole goal of the game is to, since it's called Key to the Kingdom, you're trying to collect three pieces of a key. So there's a red piece, a green piece, and a blue piece, and you're all using them. Once you have all three pieces of the key, then you can fight the evil demon king, and you go to the demon king's lair. Oh no! Yeah, and at the demon king's lair, you have to go up through the various uh, chambers of his castle to, to face him face off against him uh, in person. And if you get to if you get to roll a 20 through the use of magical items, you defeat him and the first person to defeat him is the winner. That's fantastic. I also love first of all this flip out board. So when you go into the whirlpools, you reveal an entire new section of the board to do all kinds of other things. But also that when you make it up to the dragon's lair, there's a giant stack of discarded keys. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, the, the art here is it's so whimsical. It's like fantasy, but it's just all jokey. It's all very tongue-in-cheek. It's it, Here, the, the blank spaces, they're boring spaces, right? And we have, like, all the items, like, these are the magic coffee beans. When you exhaust this item, you refresh one of your other items. Like, works like coffee, right? Fantastic. 
all of it's just all really silly. Or like, let's say uh, you have no items left. You then, instead of rolling your die, you just go and you take a heroic nap. Not just a nap, a heroic nap. A heroic nap, exactly, exactly. Well, this looks fantastic. Uh, according to the box, it is for ages seven and up. Yep. It, it looks plays, like there's up to five players. Up to five players, and awesome. And they say about 20 minutes per player. I think that's, that's generous. I think it could be, you could do shorter, but yeah, it's great for families. It Absolutely looks like great. it's pretty minimal on the reading. There is some reading required. You want somebody, but not every player would need to know how to read to play this game. Yeah, a lot of the reading is flavor text, which I'm sure a parent could be, you know, jump sure. in and give it some character, give it some flavor. But yeah, mostly, yeah, this is this is a great game for kids. Well, this looks fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. And folks, you should check out Key to the Kingdom. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. Goodbye. I am here at the end of day two of PAX Unplugged with Colin from Flagbearer Games. Hello, Colin. Hi, how's it going? It's going great. So tell me a little bit about um, your main product you got out here is Nations and Cannons, which is a, a D&D 5e module. Campaign setting. Campaign so, setting. Uh, we have all the rules here to play a historic campaign instead of playing uh, a sort of monsters and mayhem that is D&D. No elves, play. no any of that. No right? elves, no dwarves, unless you want them to be. We build it on the 5e uh, skeleton so that way you could incorporate any supernatural content you want. So if you want there to be elves and gnomes and whatever... Fighting around, the Revolutionary War? Sure, yeah, why not? You're perfectly okay to do that. Or uh, my personal favorite of Benjamin Franklin Banshee Slayer that imagines all of Benjamin Franklin's inventions as ghost hunting equipment. Bifocals, spectral evidence. Glass harmonica, clearly a Banshee lore. Just, or, uh, lure. Just look at all the history around it. People are dying of sadness and all these other things. And Benjamin Franklin keeps claiming it's not supernatural. Seems suspicious. Fantastic. But the, the main idea here is that you can recreate and kind of walk through our nation's history and the beginning of our nation, right? That's absolutely true. So we start with uh, listing all the different heritages and languages of all the different peoples that lived in North America at the time, um, replacing the concept of uh, D&D's race, so there are no L's because everyone's a human, with a concept called roles. So you're not a dwarf, you're not a halfling, you're an officer or a veteran or a pioneer or a renegade. And along with that, we get space to talk about who would have that role living in America at the time by using real characters from history like Seymour Burr uh, as our exemplar for a renegade. Uh, Seymour Burr is a man who was enslaved by Aaron Burr and went up to him at the start of the revolution to be like, hey, you can emancipate me now and I will fight for your revolution. Or I can just go fight for the British. And they of course well, beat him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you get to talk about all sorts of interesting things like foreign officers that would come over to train the, the, um, the armies or indigenous allies that uh, participated in the war and were impacted in, even if their nation wasn't involved in the conflict itself. Um, Moving past the sort of character creation element, we, we have new subclasses for all your martial classes, like uh, a grenadier for your barbarian, a turncoat for the fighter, a trailblazer uh, for your ranger, so that's your sort of expert trap maker and uh, guide, sure, and sure. marksman for rogue, you know, very standard. We have a new class called the Firebrand. They're your Son of Liberty, Alexander Hamilton, demigod, public speaker sort. 
Um, now, what's interesting here is we still have them as a spellcaster, because while we've eliminated magic, we didn't eliminate the concept of spells as a mechanical idea. So instead, we've reflavored them as gambits. So they're not arcane or divine energy, they're a feat of ingenuity, misdirection, inspiration, or guile that allows you to create this limited, uh, extraordinary effect. Of course, we also have rules for your, your fancy black powder firearms um, and artillery and grenades, and that's all balanced by this new concept called war gear that uh, limits what you can wield freely in battle to what you can uh, equip on your person easily. So using belt loops to keep weapons at your side or a boot sheath to keep an extra knife in your boot. Um, rather than just being able to freely change between 80 weapons. Sure, sure. Um, we have a whole host of new uh, enemies and uh, NPCs that, of course, you can come across, including some uh, natural ones like your Black Wolf and my personal favorite, the Bull Moose. Oh, man, Bull Moose are scary. They're horrifying, and we gave them an ability called Top Heavy. So when you, if you're next to a moose, when you take it down, it's going to hurt as it falls on top. As of it you. falls on you, yeah. yeah. Uh, then the, the rest of our enemies are mostly human. So we have, you know, Hessian conscripts and um, uh, all these sort of partisans like your Highlanders and your provocateurs and your Minutemen. And then we have the core of your enemies, which are going to be your soldiers. Uh, so your base footman is only a CR one-fourth, but they get compounded uh, in difficulty and threat as you get more and more of them together. So instead of having one big sack of hit points that's a dragon or something like that, instead, 20 redcoats is a significant threat even to a high-level party just by sheer volume and their ability to get more accurate when they're standing next to each other or have AOE attacks when supported by a sergeant that can order them to volley fire. Um, then, of course, we have uh, in this core book here, we have an adventure module that's the Invasion of Canada. So this is the first aggressive action that the, the Continental Army takes, trying to go up into Canada and take control of it before the British can use it and the waterways to come on down. Um, maybe not the best idea, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. So you, the, camp, the module takes you first with Ethan Allen and, and his bombastic personality as he tries to single-handedly take control of Montreal. Um, all the way up to the uh, Siege of Fort St. John. Um, and then we have some bonus objectives here for uh, uh, sinking uh, uh, one of the, the boats that was in the river uh, that was laying down fire on the Continental Army. And then also um, one here for trying to recruit Oneida allies into the war a little earlier than they historically entered into the uh, well, this sounds fantastic. For anybody who already likes D&D &D but wants to do some more history focus, especially like a homeschooler or something like that, this feels like a great fit. Um, I think my friend who is an AP U.S. history teacher will also really enjoy this. Oh, absolutely. Our whole goal is to have this immersive experience. That's why all our template characters are real people. So anyone playing can see themselves as a person in the conflict rather than these maybe unaccessible uh, people like Thomas Jefferson or George Washington that it's hard for a regular student in a classroom to relate to. Um, but someone like Sally St. Clair 
um, a young black woman from Louisiana that uh, participates in the conflict, uh, you get to see real people that were actually involved and impacted by the war. Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Colin. This sounds really cool. If people want to find out more, where should they look for you online? Yeah, so you can find us on nationandcannons.com. There's a link to all our social media there. So we have a Twitter account, a Facebook account, a Reddit account, and, of course, uh, a pretty active Discord where we we all talk about various things from history or the gamification of historical content. One more thing to add on, we also have a Kickstarter that we're going to be launching in um, February that is a campaign module book for the first half of the revolution that sort of takes players from the uh, siege of Boston all the way to Valley Forge. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. with Bob and Ryan from One Day West Games. Uh, so you guys have quite a few family-friendly look, looking games out here, but the one that really caught my eye is Kenosha. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, Kenosha is a two-player abstract game where you're basically playing as sirens and you're trying to capture shipwrecked sailors that are lost in the water and you're trying to lure them back to your island. You're trying to be the first person to capture four sailors back to your island to win the game. So it's a quick playing game. It's a two-player abstract where you're uh, basically playing for like 15 to 20 minutes. It's tug of war. You're using rings within the game, and they act as like the influence rings from the siren, and they're the ones that actually lure the sailors back to your island. Uh, and I saw that you can stack multiple rings on one of these abstract sailor figures, so whatever ring is on top is who's currently controlling them, right? That's correct. Each piece can hold up to three rings, but whatever ring is on top is the ring that depicts which siren has influence over that sailor. This is very cool. Uh, you were also telling me that you started by coming up with this really deluxe, beautiful wood edition, but you now have a, shall I say, more family-friendly price um, of a cardboard box, same wooden pieces for $30. Is that correct? That's exactly correct. Yeah, we did a Kickstarter uh, Make 100 a few years ago, did really well with it, and then we just, yeah, we wanted to create something that's a little more approachable price-wise. So it's the same exact game, raised playing board, same exact wooden pieces, but uh, yeah, just at a more approachable price. Well, that's fantastic. If people want to see what this game looks like or find out more about your other games, where can they find you online? Social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at One Day West Games, and also our, our website is OneDayWestGames.com. All right, and we're back. We're here with our guest, Anitra. <laughs> She's going to talk about Pax Unplugged. So I'm going to give you just a couple of really quick things that I'm excited about that I either saw or heard about at Pax Unplugged. And you have received permission to talk about these things? Yes. (laughs) Weird Giraffe has some really cool stuff coming out. They are starting to do a line that they're calling macro games. They are 27 cards. Okay. still small. And a lot of them are going to be tie-ins with some of their bigger games. So... Uh, they're going to have one based on the Tumbletown. They're going to have one based on Fire in the Library. I think that one is coming to Kickstarter pretty much right now. They so have this one. This is not the Explosion Library one. This is a different one. So Explosion in the Laboratory oh, is is the first macro game that's coming out. Okay, so that one is already done on Kickstarter. So that one, okay, it already funded on Kickstarter. Yes. They hope it will be at retail in about a year. But they're coming up with all of these different macro games, which sound really fun and cool and short. <laughs> I like short. At Gray Matters Games, I saw this game called Word Wipeout. 
look for it online. There's a bunch of like TikToks and YouTubes about it, but it is a race to grab letters. It feels a little bit tapple-like in that you're trying to come up with a word that fits a category. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you say the word, you can grab as many letters from the table as appear in that word. And the goal is to be the person to grab the most letters after you go back and forth and have a number of turns. Okay. So that was neat. I cannot talk about very much of this, but Hachette is coming out with so many cool things next year. (laughs) So many cool things. Awesome. Lots of educational stuff that also sounds very, very fun. And I'm just going to leave it at that. All right. Well, hopefully we get the opportunity to work with Hachette on many, many of these things. Cosmos, who we love a lot, is now the publisher of record in the U.S. for Karak. Which is a game that we love a lot. Which is a game that we love. And Catch the Moon, which is a game that I got introduced to a little while back. So those both seem cool. Very few changes to the games themselves, which is fine. We also talked a little bit about the new crew Deep Sea has difficulty levels. So if you liked the idea of the crew, but it just was either way too easy or way too hard for you, the new crew is the way to go. Cool. Their game Switch and Signal is a co-op that feels a little bit like Ticket to Ride and a little bit like Pandemic. You are playing with an open hand of cards. You are trying to, quote unquote, beat the clock. It's not real time. It's like a card countdown. But you're trying to beat the clock in a pick up and deliver cooperative rails game. And I got to see a demo of Hickory Dickory over at the Plaid Hat Games booth. Yes, this game looks very, very cute. Adorable. It is not little kid adorable. Although I do think youngish kids could play but this is a relatively complex pick up and deliver game with a very cute theme of mice running around on the face of the clock and trying to grab the things that they want and bring them back home so that's pretty much it i also saw a lot of friends which was kind of the best part of pax unplugged i think it's always the best part of pax unplugged or any other show really i mean now that we've been in board game media for like seven years we know a lot of people and it's nice to be able to see him and catch up again. Mm-hmm. I also very briefly got to meet Manny Vega, the designer of Flamecraft, and he was very nice. Awesome. All right. Well, Anitra, if anybody wants to ask you about some of those things that you can't talk about or maybe some of the things that you can talk about, <clears> where <throat> would they go to do that? Uh, well, the best way to ask me is to send me an email, although I cannot promise that I will respond in a timely fashion. Jeez, uh, okay. <laughs> And that's Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Well, you can email me, and I am obsessive about my email, and probably will respond in a timely fashion at andrew at thefamilygamers.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at FamilyGamersAA. Andrew tried his hand at making a TikTok video this I, week. I did. I think it's okay. I don't know. I, People look at good. it. Yeah. Anyway, you can also head over to the Family Gamers community. I highly recommend you do. There's lots of really great stuff going on in there, conversations, people asking for advice, people giving advice, whatever, at thefamilygamers.com forward slash community, or just heading over to Facebook and searching for the Family Gamers community. There is still time to get Family Gamers or Play Games with Your Kids merch before the holidays. You can do it. I believe in you. Go to thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. And get a discount with code GIFTS. G-I-F-T-S. 10% off for the rest of the year with code GIFTS. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends about the podcast, and leave us a review if you can stomach opening Apple iTunes um, (laughs) or whatever your podcast (laughs) subscription source is. Don't hold back, Anitra. (laughs) 
<laughs> the Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to see how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Well, I think that's going to be it for us this week. Okay, we have so many games to play. I'm looking forward to it. All right, so until next week, everybody, play, play games, games with, with your, your kids. kids.